You are listening to the Living Room Confessional Podcast. So welcome back to the Living Room Confessional. Today, we have Bella from Bella's Credit Corner on with us. Hi, Bella. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. This is definitely going to be a fun and interesting conversation. Absolutely. So I found Bella because I basically go through Instagram looking for anybody that can help me through any situation that I seem to be going through. And 2020 and 2021 have been my years of just cleaning up my credit, starting my savings account. I know I'm in my 30s, but we were not taught this when I was younger. So I'm just now getting started. So her page has been very helpful to me. And I always wonder, how do you, how does a person get started in this? Do you like finance? Have you just always been interested in it? Like what got you started? Well, I guess it's kind of twofold because I do have a finance background. I have my bachelor's in finance and my master's as well. So numbers has always like been my thing. But I would say Bella's Credit Corner started from just going through my own financial journey. So once I went from having bad credit to good credit to then becoming a homeowner, that was when I had like my own aha moment to say, I should probably see if other people need help with this because I can't be the only person dealing with or who mm-hmm. dealt with bad credit, but you don't really hear anyone talking about it, right? We just talk about, you need to have good credit. You need to pay down debt, but no one ever talks about the struggles, the emotions, right? That kind of go with that. So that's really where Bella's Credit Corner came from essentially. Okay. And it's funny that you say that nobody ever talks about it because that's so true. I did not know what a credit score was until I turned 18 and tried to like buy my first large purchase. And they're like, what's your credit looking like? And I was like, what? And they're like, do you have a credit card? What's going on? I was like, I don't have a credit card. But then the minute I got that credit card, the first thing I did was max it out. So now I'm like... I have a love-hate relationship with credit cards, to be honest. I, I, I take care of the ones that I have, but I will not open anymore. <laughs> so let's talk about kind of the importance of understand, understanding credit and your finances and what that can really do for you. Got it. So I guess I would say it kind of goal comes down to many of us didn't learn it, right? Um, as children, growing up, maybe our parents didn't teach us and they definitely are not teaching it to us in school. So we kind of learn from the school of hard knocks, right? So you kind of learn after you've made mistakes or watching mm-hmm. other people making mistakes. And so when it comes to credit, it impacts so many aspects of our lives that we don't really know that until after the fact, right? So when it comes to credit, it can impact you getting a job or keeping a job. I do know someone who actually lost a job due to having bad credit. Um, It impacts your ability to get an apartment, to finance a car, you know, and just to turn on utilities, for example. And when you're not really cognizant of that, and you don't really know what credit is, you can make a lot of bad decisions 
And then once you are ready to get your life together, you have a long way, right, to get from where you are to where you want to be. So understanding credit is really important, but not even just credit, just overall financial literacy is important because it all kind of works together, right? So if you don't know how to budget and manage your finances, that can definitely, right, impact your credit. If you don't understand the importance of living below your means and you know, not going into debt and also investing into your future, right? It's going to set you up for failure, right? In the long run, or just make your life extremely harder than it has to be. So understanding credit, how to manage your finances, how to invest to build wealth for the future are really like the financial pillars of financial success. So you really do need to understand all parts of it. Of course, the sooner you understand it or learn about it, the better. Unfortunately, many of us are kind of like in that sandwich hour (laughs) where we're now learning about it because we've either made mistakes and we're trying to get it together. And so for me, my mission is to kind of help us, those of us who need the help, but to also pay it forward to the ones behind us can kind of learn from our mistakes and not making the mistakes, you know, themselves. Okay. Well, A lot of us that didn't know how to manage our credit, didn't know that we needed to save when we were younger and kind of start all this early, since we're trying to do it now, now you're trying to kind of balance. You're trying to pay off debt, and then you're also trying to save. Like, let's let's kind of dive in there. Like, what what do you need to do first? Which is more important? Should you start saving first, or should you kind of focus on paying off that debt first? So I always recommend focusing on saving, but I call it a short-term emergency fund. So that's going to be at least $500 to $1,000 to cover those unexpected things that we know are going to happen. We just don't know when, right? So like a minor car repair, maybe you get into a car accident and you have to pay your deductible, Mm -hmm. medical bill, right? And those kind of things can really throw your finances out of whack, right? So if you don't have that cash on hand, You only have a handful of options, right? If you have a credit card, you're going to put it on a credit card, but now you're going to have to pay interest. You may have to borrow the money from someone and that's awkward, (laughs) right? And now many people who may have been able to lend you money before now are dealing with their own financial struggles. So now they're not in a position to do so. Hmm. Or your third option is you're not going to not pay, right? Some of your current bills to cover this emergency. And now those bills are going to be late. And now you're going to have late fees and interest, etc. So that is why it's important to kind of focus on that short term emergency fund first, because you want to protect yourself from going down this financial spiral, the debt you have, you've already been paying it, right? So you can keep paying those minimum payments, but you do want to get this nest egg and safety net there to help you in the future when things do pop up. Now that's the bare minimum for your short-term emergency fund. If you are a homeowner, maybe you have a vehicle that's more expensive, maybe you have children, you may wanna have three to five times that because a house repair, a big car repair can really be right a few thousand dollars essentially. So depending upon where you are in life and your situation, that's just like a framework that I talk to, you know, my students, my clients and my audience about just to kind of give them a frame of reference of how much should you essentially save. Of course, it's different for everyone. Everyone's situation is different. Everyone's finances are different. But once you have identified that number, 
you want to then break it down into realistic goals. So this is important because if you have never been able to save money before, you don't want to say, okay, I'm going to save $2,000 in two months. And if you've never done that your whole life, <laughs> right? How are you happen now? And then also when you have these big goals, it may seem so hard or unrealistic to achieve it. So I find that breaking it down into those bite-sized pieces makes it more attainable and it kind of makes you feel like you're making progress so you don't easily give up. So that's the one thing I also recommend, breaking it down into maybe one year to say I want to save this this amount of money, then you break it down into a monthly goal, then you break it down into your pay period. So therefore, it's a number you can wrap your mind around, right? Mm -hmm. So I always try to tell my audience to use that strategy because you want to make sure you're setting yourself up to success. Because when it comes to any goal, it's about doing those baby steps consistently. It's not really about throwing a lot of money at the problem because that can be sporadic. So breaking it down like that makes sense. So once you have that short-term emergency fund fully funded, then you can kind of shift your focus to paying down debt. But of course, you I recommend still setting aside some additional funds to build either your long-term emergency funds or to go towards your retirement. So your long-term emergency fund is going to be that larger balance is going to protect you from loss of income. So if you were to right, get sick at work, if you were to lose your job, if you were to have your hours reduced at work, right, that's going to impact income. So your long-term emergency fund is going to kind of protect you in those instances. Now, when it comes to that in particular, that's going to take a little bit longer or a lot longer, right, to fully fund that. You're talking about anywhere from three months to a year of your income and savings. Definitely a huge goal for many of us, and that's going to take time. But just like the short-term emergency fund, you want to break it down into, you know, bite-sized goals. And then while you're trying to work on this goal specifically, that's when you want to get creative in increasing your income, reducing your expenses. So you can really, you know, accelerate how fast you can start right creating this long-term emergency fund. But in that, I do recommend trying to allocate maybe 5% or 10% of your income towards, you know, investing, so on and so forth, and also paying down debt. Now, of course, when it comes down to paying down debt, I recommend prioritizing by the amount of debt that each account has, and also the interest rate. I do get that question a lot. Well, what should I do first, the card that has 23% interest or the card that has a $500 balance first? I always had that question because the way I was taught, it's called the snowball effect, I think. We start with the smallest and you pay that off. And once you pay it off, it's kind of like hitting a milestone and it motivates you to do the next one, then the next one, then the next one. And I'm not going to lie, I have spending issues. So I'm like, I pay it off and I'm like, oh, I get I it. Let me a hundred dollars. Like, let me spend just 150. Then I can pay that off again. And then it never gets paid off. So it works when you have self-control. I think that's a very good method to go by. And it's, it's a lot easier to go by as well because you're starting so small and you're able to pay a little bit over your minimum and you can kind of set the standard of how quickly you want to pay it off. Someone I, like me, I want to pay it off. Like, let's say I have a credit card that is $600. I want to pay $100 a month at least to get it done a lot quicker. But um, let's say that something happens and I have that emergency fund, but I was doing the snowball. I'm over here and I haven't hit my long term yet. 
is it, do you think it's a good idea to always just kind of stop and move over and start just putting money back into savings? Because I was always told that, yes, it's good to have at least $1,000 just in case you get into a car accident or something happens. But I've always been told have, I think it's three months worth of rent, utilities, and just your bills always tucked away. And that's more important than paying off your debt because your debt's going to be there (laughs) regardless. Right. So that is one of those tough questions. And I definitely have, you know, I had this question asked quite a bit. And I think it all goes to situation and circumstance. Because if you are, for example, a high income earner, you may have um, more income, right, to pay off this debt faster, or to contribute to your savings faster. Um, I do think that having that short term emergency fund is really crucial. If you do end up dipping back into it, replenishing that definitely has to be a priority. Um, the long term emergency fund, which is the three months right, of you know um, expenses that you're talking about, that is definitely a goal that you want to have. But again, depending on what kind of debt you have will determine which one is a bigger priority. So if, for example, my mortgage right is a 3.3% interest rate, so that's really low right? But a credit card may be like 28% interest. So, right, that's really going to determine, do you focus on the debt or do you focus on, right, building up that emergency fund, that long-term emergency fund? So if it is a high interest debt, even though, yes, it is always going to be there, you're literally throwing away, right, hundreds, maybe even thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. in money, right, to the bank. So I think it does behoove you to try to focus on that, but also, you know, allocate a percentage of your budget to that long-term emergency fund. And this is also why focusing on reducing your expenses and increasing your income is really crucial because once you can do both of those and sync, that can really accelerate your progress on either one of those goals. I think that for many people, they just get comfortable paying certain bills. They don't think twice about the amount. But there is a huge impact and power in looking at your expenses. You know, simple things is price shopping. I know for myself, every year I reevaluate my car, our car insurance, our homeowners insurance, um, our cell phone bills. Because, for example, with car insurance, we have essentially cut our car insurance bill in half just by, you know, moving to a new competitor. And so I think for a lot of people, they just get comfortable. Well, we've always had so and so. It's okay. And, you know, when you are price shopping, of course, you still want to be strategic. You want to make sure that you're not reducing the quality of service, the level of coverage that you're getting. So long as it's comparable, I think it does make sense, you know, to move to a competitor. Or if you do get a better rate with the competitor, you go to your current company and say, hey, company so-and-so is giving me this deal. Can you meet or beat it? But, you know, people do tend to leave that money on the table because they don't want to put in that work. But for me, like, you know, I have some pretty huge financial goals. So for me, I'm going to spend the time because to be quite frank, it doesn't quite take a lot of effort anymore. Before you might have to call a customer service line and wait for however many minutes. Now you can go online and do your own quotes. You can go mm-hmm. to the chat box and chat with customer service. They even have secure message um, message services. You can send your question and somebody gets back to you within 24 to 48 hours. There are so many options for us as consumers to, you know, make get more information to be more informed consumers. But it's all about, you know, where do your priorities lie? And again, like I said, we've saved thousands of dollars. 
by just price shopping and, you know, you know, shopping around and switching vendors or getting a, um, the current, you know, company to price match. I think that's great uh, advice. Um, I don't think you should ever take the first offer on anything. <laughs> and especially when you're looking at credit cards, um, there are so many sites that you can go to and compare credit cards and compare the um, interest rates. And that's what I've learned to do now as an adult, because when I tell you I have so many credit cards um, from when I was younger that are like, I think it's like 28% interest. And when you owe money on those cards, that's what eats you alive. So always do your research and make sure that you're picking the best card for you and making sure that you're able to pay your balance off before all that interest gets you. Right. So I do have a question for people who are not good at budgeting. (laughs) I have a budget book. I used to use a spreadsheet. I don't like Excel. It does not work for me. And I know you have to kind of pick what works for you. Um, When I was younger, I had a binder that I would create and I wrote down every expense. It's time consuming. It was awful, but it worked. Now that I'm older, I have more responsibilities. I don't have time. So I've actually found, um, I went on Amazon actually, and they have all kinds of like budget books to help you like maintain your budget and track all of your expenses. So for people who have a really hard time budgeting, what advice do you give them? Great question. So I think before we talk about budgeting, I think you have to have kind of have a certain level of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Before start budgeting. So like you were saying, right, you, you like to spend and so, so do I. So for yeah. me, I am by nature, a spender. I like nice things. I like to do things. If it's shining, it's nice. I, <laughs> <laughs> right. And so for me, I have had to do a lot of self work to kind of hone in, especially those impulsive purchases, right? So understanding your triggers is also very important. So, you know, quick story. So for me, I love a nice pair of shoes. I love a nice pocketbook. So pre-COVID, of course, and I would go to the mall, I literally would avoid walking through certain entrances because I knew certain parts of Macy's, right? It's you walk right in, it's the shoes to the left, it's the pocketbooks to the right, and I am in heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and even if I'm just looking I might make a mental note and go online later to make that purchase. So because I know I know myself and I have this awareness of my my triggers and my habits, I don't walk through that part of Macy's specifically. If I don't see it, I'm not thinking about it. So understanding your triggers and, and your habits and what kind of causes you to want to make those impulsive purchases is very important because then you can kind of put a framework and guardrails right, to kind of protect you from yourself. So I do find that that's one very important piece before you start budgeting. Also identifying your goals, right? What is the end goal here? Are you trying to pay off debt? Are you trying to increase your savings? Are you trying to retire early, right? Whatever, are you trying to become a homeowner, right? Whatever those goals are, right? You want to make sure that you understand which are your main priorities and which one is something for down the road, because then you want your money and your habits to align accordingly. So kind of identifying those things up front is really the first thing you should do. So those two things actually, right? Having your self-reflection, self self-reflection, right? And then understanding your priorities. 
then you can kind of go into creating a budget. So the one thing I will say when it comes to budgeting that most of us look at budgets like a really bad thing, they're boring, they're restrictive. And if that is how you feel about budgeting, it just means you're not doing it the right way, right? Your budget is really meant to be your BFF. It is meant to be your your right-hand man, your right-hand lady to get you right from where you are to where you ultimately want to be. And so once you kind of understand that, and also the fact that your budget is meant to be dynamic, I think that's one thing that people don't really quite grasp when it comes to budgeting. We feel like, okay, I set this number for this expense and it literally cannot change. And that's not realistic, right? That's not life, right? The needs and wants in your life change throughout the month, throughout different seasons, throughout different years. And so your budget has to kind of be dynamic and shift accordingly to right meet those needs and demands. So for example, coming into COVID, right back in March of 2020, April 2020, there was a huge influx of people trying to buy toiletries and, and groceries, right? People had extremely huge grocery bills and household bills because now we're trying to stockpile all of these things. So in that instance, that means then you need to kind of shift your budget to increase your grocery budget, but that means you have to reduce somewhere else, right? You can't spend more here because the pie is only also big, essentially, mm-hmm. right? So if you're going to increase, for example, your grocery budget, that means you have to reduce and cut from somewhere else. And when you kind of understand that push and pull concept when it comes to budgeting, it makes it a lot easier to stick to because now you don't feel guilty about quote unquote blowing your budget because you're not really blowing it. You're just adjusting it to um, meet the new demands that you have right now. It's all about having information, right? When you set your budget, you kind of knew this was going to be this, that was going to be, right? You kind of knew things are going to maybe be a certain way. As the month progresses, you have more information. So you know I need to make some adjustments. And when you kind of learn that concept, it makes budgeting so much easier to stick to because you know you're allowed to make changes. I think when people don't understand that part of it, they blow their budget, they throw the whole thing away, and they're like, I'm not good at it, and they just don't start again. Understand this other way of budgeting, it makes it a lot easier to stick to. So you spoke to me before about allowing your budget to work for you. Can you really, can you go into a little more detail about that and really explain what that means? Um, Well, I guess it just really means knowing your priorities and aligning your money to match those priorities. So for example, if you're saying, okay, I want to pay down debt, but as you're walking through the month, you're spending money on shoes and bags that's not really aligning with the priority, right, that you essentially set out for yourself. So really just making sure that when you're setting your budget is literally lining up with the goals that you have. So if your first priority is to create this emergency fund, right, you should be allocating funds every single pay period to build up that emergency fund. If you're trying to pay down debt, right, your budget should be, right, aligning the fact you're trying to pay down these debts by a certain date, and you're going to allocate X amount of dollars to pay down that debt, right? That's a thing. So another thing is if you're trying to become a homeowner, right? You're going to need a certain amount of money in savings to cover your closing costs and down payments and other miscellaneous items. So you should have a line item in your budget to say, 
homeowner fund or first time homeowner fund and you're allocating money accordingly. So really just making sure that your budget is moving with the shifts, well, shifting with the needs and wants of your life at the time is really what budgeting is supposed to look like. I think that when it comes to setting a budget, we feel like, okay, I set this number, it's restrictive, I can't move from this number. And then when you overspend, you get very frustrated, you kind of feel defeated and you just throw the whole budget away. So really knowing that your budget is meant to be your best friend and supposed to help you make informed decisions also. So if I'll talk about myself, for example. So I am naturally a spender. And so for me, like I said before, I like to buy nice things. But now that I have certain goals, well, we, meaning my husband and I have certain goals, my budget is now aligned with those goals. So for example, we're trying to pay our 30-year mortgage in 15 years. So we literally sat down, we've mapped out how much extra we have to pay each month towards principal. We also have some projects here in the house that we're trying to do as well. So I literally have line items in my budget, right, to allocate towards the projects. Also, we know how much money we need to put aside each month to pay extra principal. Now, for my budget, if I decide I want to spend extra money on shoes, that's going to pull from one of these priorities. So for me, having that in my budget makes it easier to determine, okay, do I really want to take money away from these priorities that I've assigned to myself, I don't want to do that. So it makes it easier to say no to going to buy those new pair of shoes because I know it's going to pull from somewhere else. Now, if you decide that you want to treat yourself, that's okay too. But again, you're going to have to understand that you're pulling right those funds from somewhere else. So kind of having that information there in front of you really makes, at least for me, has helped me hone in right? My shopping habits and those impulsive buys because I'm really laser focused right now on these other goals. So it makes it easier to pass on overspending at Target or buying a nice pair of shoes because my priorities have changed, right? So if you're not in that space where you're trying to work on these goals, buying those shoes might be more important, right? So essentially budgeting comes down to having that roadmap. Now, like you were saying, everyone has a different method, whether it is a physical planner, whether it is Google Sheets. I prefer using an app. It's called YNAB and it has been game changing for me. Actually, it stands for you need a budget. And it has essentially (laughs) helped me break out of that cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. Now, there is a learning curve with budgeting. I think that's the other part too we should really be mindful of is that you're literally trying to learn a new habit, right? So it's going to take time. There's a lot of trial and error when it comes to that. So I think that's the other part that tends to trip up most people because if they fail at it in the first 30 days, they're like, oh, I'm just not good at it. That's not really how yeah. it works, right? It's literally trying to create a new muscle, just like working out or trying to lose weight. It takes time to right, create this habit and really build that muscle so you do become good at it. So I do find that finding whichever option works for you is also important because if you're not tech savvy, an app isn't a good option, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I completely agree with that, yes. And just like I said, I started with uh, the binders years ago, then the Excel sheet. Now I have my book and I love my book. I can keep it in my purse so that it goes with me everywhere. But yeah, you just have to find what works for you. And funny enough, I 
did a, I kind of went down a little bit of a rabbit hole <laughs> and I found all of these kind of tips and tricks that people always uh, say to use when you budget. And one of the ones that I use is I assign every dollar. So when I'm doing my budget, there is a zero balance once I'm done. And that actually kind of helps me not overspend because once I, I have this is a whole nother thing, but I have like seven bank accounts and money automatically goes where it needs to go and I don't see it. So I have a spending account and every time I get paid, a certain amount of money goes to that account and that's all I get. And I do not carry any, I have an emergency credit card and I have my debit okay. card, nothing else <laughs> because I know myself. <laughs> right, so that, that concept of giving every dollar a job is also what YNAB is all about essentially. And mm -hmm. so it's really a beautiful concept because you really have to sit down and be strategic and figure out where does the money need to go until my next pay period comes around. And so for me, I really love YNAB because it literally puts everything out there for you. You can literally assign goals to yourself as well. And they have it color coded to let you know if you are on track kind of off track, or if you're totally going to miss this goal. So for example, let's say you want to have $2,000 in a Christmas fund. And so you can set that goal and say, okay, I want to have this money in by November. So right now we're in, in March. So you literally will have to break down that goal in, you know, monthly goals or whatever the case may be. And each month, as each month goes by, YNAB will show if you are green, meaning you're on track, Yellow, meaning mm, you're kind of off track, you need to pay attention, or it'll be mm -hmm. red, meaning like you are totally going to miss this goal, you need to pay attention <laughs> because it is flashing, right? It's, it's like this bright, obnoxious red. And so for me, having those color codes really makes it easy for me to figure out where am I going to prioritize my budget when I'm get when payday rolls around. So it's really easy, very straightforward to use. And if you have a spouse, or a companion, you each can be using the app so everyone kind of knows what's going on real time. And so it's, and the other part of YNAB that's so key is trying to help you break out of living paycheck to paycheck. And the way you do that is making your money age, right? So aging your money is really the other key, keystone or cornerstone of YNAB because once you get to a point where your money is 30 days old, that's when life really starts to change. So to kind of talk that through, so let's say today's Friday and you get mm -hmm. paid today. So if you were to spend money tomorrow, those dollars are essentially one day old, right? So fast forward to next week, let's say you still have money in your bank account. Those dollars are now seven days old. So when you get to the point where your money is 30 days old, that means the money you're spending today, you earned it 30 days ago. So that means, so today, for example, if you once you age your money, so let's say today's payday, because I my money is 30 days old, the bills that I have this month are already accounted for with the dollars I earned 30 days ago. So the money I'm earning today, I don't need it because my bills are already accounted for. So the money today, I can allocate to bills that are due next month. And so when you get to that point of aging your money, it's so game changing because now you can really start making a lot of headway in those other financial goals that you're talking about. And you essentially have more time 
to make an informed decision, right? For many people, they're living check to check. So as soon as they get paid, that money's going right back out the door because the bill was already due. So it's late or it's due like in a couple of days. So I just got paid in time to cover these bills. And when you're in this frantic pace of trying to pay your bills, you may miss some key opportunities, right? To make better decisions. So a lot of that does come down. So it doesn't happen overnight, right? Trying to break out of that check um, cycle of living check to check definitely takes time. And there's a whole process and, and concept of how you actually do that. But when you really start to take all those steps, you know, little by little, it is achievable and it definitely becomes game changing. Nice. Well, I've never heard of that app. I'm going to have to look that one up because like I said, I do everything manually, but once I kind of get my bearings, I think an app would be a lot easier because I'm always on my phone. <laughs> yeah. So for me with YNAB, I literally, you know, do my transactions real time. So as soon as I, let's say I go to CVS and I sit in my car, I literally, well, one, I'm looking at my budget before I spend to say, okay, how much money do I have in, you know, healthcare or beauty before I go into the store. And then, you know, after I've made my purchase, I sit in my car and I add the transaction to my budget real time. And that also is a habit that you kind of have to build, you know, and for me, it works. Because I do find like if you are going to stores and you're spending money and you're collecting receipts, you may lose a receipt, right? It may be faded. Now you have to go into your bank account to say, how much did I spend over here? And how much did I spend over there? And so for me to keep up with my budget, I like to do my transactions real time. Of course, everyone has their own methodologies and you'll figure out what works for you. But for me, doing it real time really helps me stay on top of it. So therefore, one, I'm an informed consumer before going into the store. Like I know how much money I have allocated. And if I'm in the store and I see, oh, I think I need to spend a little bit more for whatever reason, I literally have to sit in the store and say, okay, where can I pull this money from to cover the overage that I know I'm going to, you know, do while I'm in the store. So there's a lot to it. Again, it's a habit. It takes time. But for me, once you kind of, again, build that muscle and make it a habit, like you literally just stick, you, you'll stick to it. You literally will stick to it, but it takes time. All right. So let's, now let's discuss the the 1% rule. Can you tell us what that is? <laughs> so for me, I like to talk to my audience about saving at least 1% of your income. And I talk about the 1% rule because saving is one of those things that many of us, it's just not a habit we have naturally. Mm -hmm. There are some people who are natural savers, like my husband is one of them. I am not. <laughs> so, um, you know, when it comes to saving money, it can be very overwhelming. It can be very intimidating. And we also take for granted the power of doing what you can with what you have. Some people feel as though if I can't put aside $100 a month, why bother? Right? If I can't save $500 a month, why bother? Whereas I'm of this of the um, thought process of every dollar counts, right? So this goes back to those baby steps and doing them consistently is really how you essentially build wealth and really make certain habits stick. So if you really are in a situation where money is tight, you're living check to check, and you feel like saving money is little might be difficult, I try to to my audience try to save one percent, right? One percent is one of those things where 
okay, that's not too bad. I think I can Mm -hmm. do that, right? And it doesn't make it seem so impossible to do. So when you start with that 1%, right, you start putting that money aside consistently, you're going to start to see that account grow. And then what I find, just like with anything else, like losing weight, when you lose those first five pounds, oh, like, okay, what I did has been working. Let me keep doing it, right? And so when you do that consistently, then you might get motivated to say, okay, let me see if I can do 2%. Let me see if I can do 3%. So starting with 1%, I I find is a more realistic starting point that you can kind of stick to without really breaking the bank per se. But that also kind of goes back to those two tips we talked about before is when you're trying to build up your savings, it's really important to increase your income and also reduce your expenses. So therefore you now have some more you know, funds you can allocate to your savings. But the 1% rule I do find tends to help people you know, think differently about saving and it kind of gets them triggered to start. And then hopefully, right, they kind of can accelerate how much they save going from there. I like that. I really wish I would have known that years ago because same when I first started, when I first started saving, I was trying to save chunks, like $300 with my little bitty check. <laughs> I'm like trying to save like half of it. And it never worked out. I always had to go dip into my savings. So I think that 1%, that is a, a very good place to start. If somebody wants to learn more, where can um, they find more information? I know you, you, you're, you're on social media everywhere, but yeah. like, l- let's tell them, let's plug some of your um, pages and let them know where they can find you to get more information. Sure. So the main resource for me right now is Instagram. I'm very, very active on that platform. And I do have a link in my bio that has links to my other platforms. So in that bio, I have links to um, some digital courses that I created. I do have a financial freedom course. Now in that particular program, it's all done in Teachable. It's a self-guided course. And it literally walks you through the two biggest components of financial literacy. And that is credit repair and budgeting. So the first module is called um, Credit Repair 101, where I walk you through the various components of how to fix your credit, where to start. There are also letter templates in there you can use to dispute things like collection accounts and inquiries, so on and so forth. Then we have the budget like a boss module, where I literally walk you through how to put together a comprehensive budget that you can actually stick to. I do show you how to actually use YNAB. Now, the the concepts that I show in this training can be used whether you use Google or a paper planner. But because I love YNAB, I just definitely (laughs) used it in this particular training. And there is a link in my bio and the training so you can use YNAB for free for 34 days, which is really great because it kind of gives you a great way to fill out the app, see if you like it, see if you don't like it, right? Just because it works for me, it may not work for you. And there are other apps out there. But as someone who has had issues with money and spending money and all kinds of things, YNAB has really helped me hone in my spending habits. It has helped me change my mindset about money. So I can really prioritize those things like, you know, you know, paying off our house early, you know, saving towards retirement and and, elevating or growing my business. And so it has literally changed my life. So I like to focus on that. Um, Other than that, I do have um, a link in my bio you can use to book a session with me. I do offer one on one financial strategy sessions. In these sessions, we do a deep dive in whatever area you, you need help in, whether it's creating a budget 
you know, looking at your credit report and you want some tips from me and I can put a strategy together for you. If you want help with investing, you're not really sure where to invest, what certain things are, what's an index fund, what's a mutual fund, how do you pick one, right? We can kind of walk through that in that session. I have a link to my website as well, spellscreditcorner.com, where you know I have a blog there. I also have other um, like merchandise, like t-shirts and journals and all kinds of things there as well. Um, I have links to my podcast, <laughs> I have links to my YouTube <laughs> channel. So I'm basically everywhere. I'm also on Clubhouse now. Not sure how long that platform will be around, but as of right <laughs> now, it's a very, very active platform. I have my own club on there. I have about 300 members. I host rooms every single week, well, several rooms every single week, where I continue the conversations about financial literacy. And what I love about this platform is that people can come on stage and ask questions, right? Because Instagram, it's just reading the comments in an IG Live, or it's you're commenting on a post, but on Clubhouse, right? You literally can come on stage, ask a question, and you get me like real time, which is pretty dope. That's awesome. And I'm so happy you came on here because you dropped so much knowledge, so much of it I wish I'd had when I was younger, <laughs> but I appreciate it now because I know that some people, even people that are my age now, they still don't know this stuff. So it's always relevant. It's very helpful. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and talk with me. No problem. You know, I just am so passionate because I have gone through my own financial journey. So, you know, back in 2014, I had my credit scores. They weren't great, right? They were the 620 to 650 range. I was pre-approved for a mortgage. I found a house. I put a $5,000 good faith deposit. I was in contract. I paid for an inspection. Like I was ready to buy this house. And then, you know, my daggone student loans had hit 90 mm -hmm. past due. And with those student loans, though, I had like 15 different loans. I didn't consolidate my grad school and undergrad loans. So when they all hit 90 days past due, my scores literally tanked. So I went from scores that weren't that great two horrible scores. My lowest score was a 498. And that was the lowest point of my financial journey. So for me, I realized that I didn't want to continue just settling for half good credit or bad credit. I wanted excellent credit. So I started my journey two and a half years. And I talk about this a lot because I want to share my story because if I've done this from going from a 498 to scores into the 700s to now being a homeowner, you can do it too. It's just how bad, right? Do you want it? And so also by sharing my story, it's hopefully going to motivate someone to start their own journey. You know, when it comes to having bad credit, there's so many emotions, right? That are wrapped up in that. And, you know, you feel like you can't talk to anybody about it because mm -hmm. you, feel, you feel like you're the only one, right? That has bad credit. So for me, I really have been on this mission to, empower other people to start their credit journey to understand that you're not alone in this there are many people out there with bad credit but bad credit is not a life sentence that's the one thing you will hear me say a lot on all my platforms right where you are today does not determine your entire future you can make a change you can make a huge change it's just you know how bad do you want it and when are you going to start working on it Right. I was doing a lot of free consultations early on in my business and people, you know, they're saying, oh, I want good credit. Yeah, Bella. And then you don't hear from them again. And, you know, <laughs> it's a year later, it's two years later and they're still in the same place. They're still not right. And so in those two years, you could have made huge strides. Even if you're not working with me, you can do it on your own by, by all means. But 
the two years is going to pass anyway. The five years is going to pass anyway. The time is going to pass. And so I always say you have to pick which struggle you want to deal with, right? There are certain struggles when you have bad credit that you're going to deal with. And there are also struggles when you're trying to work on your credit and trying to improve your finances, right? It's the sacrificing, it's the budgeting, it's the frustrations, it's all those emotions too. And either journey you're going to go with is going to be hard, but one is going to have a better reward right at the end. So that's really the one thing I like to talk about a lot too, because, you know, credit is not really sexy, right? Having no money isn't sexy, but the idea of what's on the other side of that hard work I find sexy, right? (laughs) Becoming a homeowner, you know, being Mm -hmm. able to um, get these amazing credit cards where you can earn points and rewards and travel for free, right? There's so you can invest, right? Some people are making a lot of money using other people's money. They have good credit. They can secure financing at low interest rates. They turn around, they invest that. They're making, you know, double digits uh, rate of return, pay back the original loan and they've made money without using their own money. Right. So we need to do a whole episode on credit. Like there's just so much to it. (laughs) There is. And so, you know, it's one of those things where you have to pick which one you want to deal with. And in our community, particularly the black, us black and brown people, right. We tend to just, make it normal. Like, oh, well, I'm going to just have bad credit. I'm just right. It just becomes a normal. I hate that. It's like a running joke that black people have bad credit. And I'm like, you don't have to have bad credit. You just need to educate yourself. Exactly. And not even just the bad credit. There's a huge wealth gap in this country, mm-hmm. right? The net worth of an average family that's African-American versus a family that's white. It is like astronomically huge. And we have to start doing our part to close that gap. And a lot of that comes down to understanding money, how Mm -hmm. to use it wisely, how to right come out of the situation that you're in and stop settling for it. Like it's just okay, you know, and just changing our mindsets, right? We have these stimulus checks coming out right now. We have tax season and people are getting these huge influxes of money and we're seeing it on the news. They're buying big screen TVs. Oh, They're buying your savings. <laughs> right. And so, oh my gosh. Right. But it all comes down to not understanding that money is a tool and how to use that tool. Because essentially, no one really cares about money per se. We care about what money gives us, right? The actual physical dollar, we don't care about the paper, we care about the things it can help us buy. We care about the experiences it can help us buy. We care about the freedom it gives you when you have enough to, let's say, outsource certain things in your life. That's why we really care about money. And so once you kind of have that mindset that money is really a means to an end, and once you really learn to prioritize your spending to align with those goals you say you have, that's when right the, the game-changing and life-changing things start to happen. Yeah. And they, I really, really feel like, especially in black and brown households, there is a stigma around money. It is a touchy subject. And that's part of the reason why we are not educated because your money has to be a secret. Your credit needs to be a secret. No one can know. And we need to get past that because just like I reached out to you and we're having this conversation, 
you could be having this conversation with someone else so they can drop some knowledge and kind of help you learn how to get over these hurdles, how to fix your credit and how to save your money and be financially independent and create that generational wealth within your family. But it all starts from having a conversation and educating yourself. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation because that's how my entire family has been my entire life. We've gotten so much better but money literally stresses us out. Like we do not like to talk about it, but you see like your nephews and the next generation coming and they're already spending money. Like it's nothing asking for stuff, but they don't understand the value of a dollar and how far it can go. So now we're having those conversations because we're like, this needs to end. And so anybody that just wants to learn more, become financially literate. I think you guys need to reach out to Bella, reach out to somebody, do your research and become knowledgeable. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to money. (laughs) Right. And the great thing of the times that we're in, there's so many ways to access the information if you truly want it. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing that we also have to understand. No one's going to come to your front door and say, hey, here's how you can make a thousand dollars. And I'm right. No one's coming to do that. <laughs> right. So, Unless you're selling knives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's so funny. You said that that actually was a job I tried to do and that didn't work out. But anyway, I did it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, college days. So, you know, the one thing I say, too, is also surrounding yourself with people who are on the same journey. Right. And that's the beauty about social media. If you don't have anyone physically in your circle, you can go out and find that circle. Right. And I think that's really important because, for example, if you're in a group of people who are taking this, these stimmy checks, which is what they're calling them now, right? And they're going out to buy TVs and book vacations, right? You might feel the peer pressure to do the same thing versus being in a circle of people who are trying to become homeowners. They're trying to pay down debt. They're investing in you and you're literally swapping, you know, stocks that and index funds that you're looking at to say, hey, I learned about this stock. You should check it out. Hey, I bought it right. And you're ta- exchanging this financial information. Those are the people you want in your circle because they're going to motivate you right to level up, you know, what you're doing. You know, I have a circle of, you know, family and friends. We literally swap stocks and index funds like, hey, I bought this. You should look at it. Hey, I bought that. Hey, we're trying to buy a rental property here. You know, here are some things we have in mind. What are you guys doing? And just having these conversations with like-minded people can really also help you level up one, your financial literacy, because you're always going to learn something from each other, whether you're learning from their mistakes or you're learning from their advice, right? It's really important. So just having that circle around you is so crucial. I think like for myself, for example, my parents are immigrants, right? They came from Guyana and to the country in South America, and they came here to right to make a better life for themselves. And while they did a phenomenal job, they were homeowners, and you know they helped us all go to college, and they did so many things for us. But they didn't talk to us about credit because they barely understood credit. Right? They talked about saving, but saving isn't how you build wealth. Investing is how you build wealth. And so, you know, they learned certain things later on in life. So we didn't get a lot of that information until later on in life as well. But I think that they definitely did have a level of transparency as they got older. So therefore, one, we could help them because now we were out in the world, right, learning information. I was in college. I was learning about finance. So now the things I'm learning, I'm like, hey, you guys should, you know, 
learn, you should do this, like pay your mortgage every two weeks. You can pay your mortgage a lot faster by doing like those simple things like that. You can just learn from other people to help you pay down debt faster, learn how to invest and build wealth. So having a circle is so important. And if you don't have that circle, you need to go out and find it. I have loved this conversation and I'm so happy you came on. I definitely want you to come back. There's so much more that you can teach us, but you are on the living room confessional and I do require everyone to give a confession before they sign off. So did you bring anything for us today? I had a few and I wasn't really sure which one I wanted to talk about, but I would say my number one confession is that I right now am, am, am dying inside because of COVID. Like I'm literally stuck in the house and I want to take a trip. I don't know if that's a good confession or not, but I'm literally like tempted to go somewhere, but I am definitely afraid of this virus. But if I could take a private jet and go somewhere, I would fly to Aruba right now. I am right there with you. <sighs> I think a lot of us are like, I cannot, I'm already planning my next trip. Like I cannot wait to get the green light. I've gotten my first vaccine already. Okay. I'm like give me my next one. I'm on the first plane <laughs> out of here. I cannot uh, wait. Where do you want to go? Aruba. That is my favorite vacation destination. Um, I could go there every year. What do you like about it? So Aruba is an amazing place. One, they don't really have that hurricane season. So you can kind of travel there all year and not worry about like hurricane and rainy season. One, two, they just have a different vibe than any other tropical or Caribbean country that I've been to in that you can literally enjoy yourself in peace. You can go to the beach and no one is hounding you to sell you beads or selling you merchandise or saying, do you want to go jet skiing? Like you can literally walk the streets, walk the beach and it's peaceful. It's very amazing. Aruba, they're very much so against that. They are owned by the the Dutch. So they definitely operate the country in a different manner. Um, It's a very, very safe place as well. You can walk around any time of night. Doesn't matter where you're going to be hundred percent safe. And I just find the vibe, it really, it's called One Happy Island, and it really is. But that was a great confession, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was really a great conversation. Really, well. Absolutely. Hi, guys. I just wanted to jump on and do a quick reminder for the giveaway that I'm doing this week. If you would like to enter to win a Clever Fox budget planner, which is the planner that I reference throughout this episode, it's the one that I use, head over to my IG page at living room underscore confessional to enter to win. I'll be announcing the winners later this week. Thanks for tuning in, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want more information on previous or future episodes, please check out my website at thelivingroomconfessional.com. And you can also check out and follow my IG page at livingroom underscore confessional. Thanks again for tuning in. Bye.